the New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, your strategic and proactive IT partner. Welcome along to the New Zealand Business Podcast. I'm Paul Spain, and with me today is Murray Tom. Welcome, Murray. Thanks for having me, Paul. Hey, great to have you here. Now, uh, I'd like to go back a little bit in time to start our uh, chat today. Understand that you left school fairly young, uh, 15. Yep, 15 years old. If I had my time again, I would have left at 12. I wasted three of the best years of my life. <laughs> so how did you get from there to, uh, to, to where you were at CBS Records, I think at uh, age of 23, and you were leading CBS Records in New Zealand, their, their youngest uh, managing director <coughs> worldwide? How did that happen? Well, my mum, back in the day, saw an ad in the paper for a sales rep for CBS Records and she pointed it out to me and I went and had an interview and I got the job with John McCready selling what was vinyl and cassettes back at those times and I had a bit of a fast track through that company, sales manager, promotions manager. John McCready went to run the Australian company and at 23 decided that I was the man to run, run the New Zealand company. So I've got John McCready to thank for that fast ride through that corporation and identifying me as a potential leader. Wow. So what happened from there? How did, how did you find taking on that role? How, did, how was uh, it? Well, I didn't know any better and I had no business course or skills. So we really just, or I really just made it up as I went along. I found myself, I was the youngest in the company, running the company with about 30 staff. And, um, you know, it, it was just a great time of life. It was just, you know, the music business was absolutely booming. And uh, we had great people and, you know, we just had a lot of fun. But my, what was in my heart was to run my own business. And so I left probably one of the best jobs in the whole world to start one of the smallest companies in the whole world, yeah. So t- so tell us about that. Tell us what was next. Well, I went to a CBS Records conference and they gave us a cassette bag, a little bag to hold your cassettes. And I thought, oh, that looks interesting. I took it home and showed my wife and she turned it into a cottage industry. And funnily enough, I actually left the corporation to actually just go and sell those cassette bags. We just wanted to start a little business we gave ourselves 12 months to see if we could actually write our own paycheck and to see what would happen at the end of that. Um, another funny point was that I left the corporation the night that my first baby was born. So I went from my farewell function to National Women's Hospital. So I was self-employed and a father on the very same night. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's a fair, fair bit of pressure. I didn't feel the pressure. Tell me about what, what was that like where you'd been used to having your, your paycheck and, you know, I imagine it was... Um, yeah, it was reasonable at that stage. Oh, the pay was fantastic. It was a great job. But, you know, we worked out that if we could just earn about $27,000 a year, that that would pay for the mortgage and put food on the table. So I think it's important to not put yourself under pressure. You know, um, and so we just really cut our cloth to suit back at that point and tried not to have to earn too much money in order to keep the boat going. And so so how did this sort of first entrepreneurial endeavour work out for you? Funny story, I got the cassette bag from a CBS Records conference, turned it to a little business, and then six months later sold that business back to CBS Records. I sold them back the item that they'd given me at their own conference. So that's just a <laughs> great story. So, and that uh, gave us a little bit of capital just to start and move on to the next thing. And then we just uh, did a number of um, albums and local albums. I did 
the Loyal album with Dave Dobbin. We did that as a joint venture, did the Carl Doy albums, you know, Piano by Candlelight and all that. So there was a whole lot of projects that we did around that time. So you so you moved very quickly, I guess, out of the, the main part of the music business into, uh, you know, a product that you then, you know, sold back to CBS. So this the new entity that you sort of created... How did that come about? Was that just quite natural after you'd, you'd sold one thing you, you or you, were you working on those ideas all no, along? No, I, I think that ideas just come along and um, there's no real plan. I think that you just see an opportunity, you go, that's a little bit interesting and so you do something with it. And that's been the story of my life certainly for the last 30 years is just, um, you know, we, we're just surrounded with incredible opportunities, too many to count. And I think it's just a matter of picking an opportunity that you feel is a good fit for your own personality, for your own interests, and that's certainly been my barometer on the way through. Right. So you weren't going out and asking a lot of other people whether you, whether you, you know, for validation of your ideas. You weighed those things up yourself. You made a pretty, you know, a reasonably quick decision and uh, just got on with business. I think it's important to satisfy yourself rather than try and satisfy everybody else. I've never been a huge fan of market research. Um, I'm a big fan of. Um, I love this. I think it's fabulous, and this is worth sharing. And I think that's not a bad start. I certainly think there's a place for market validation, but you know. Uh, wouldn't it be terrible if the first person threw cold water over an idea that actually could have been a world beater? Yeah, I guess it comes down to how good you are at, at being able to pick winners, and I, you know, I think uh, in that area you've done you've done extremely well over the years. Well, I think that you know we've certainly had a long string of projects which have done well, mainly because we give them everything we've got. So they sort of have to succeed because you've tried so hard, you know. It's a, you know, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. You just, you, you, you just have to love them to death. So you're of the mindset that somebody else had taken on the same the same projects without the the drive that you had that they could well have fallen flat. I think they definitely would have fallen flat the same way that if I took it on somebody else's company, I'm sure that would have fallen flat. You know, because your just heart's not in it. I think to be, you know, there's a lot of people that go through life half-hearted. Mm. I think it's a very unattractive feature, you know, in anybody's life. And I think, you know, I think if you're fully engaged in something, then that makes it, you know, a lot more enjoyable. So what are your thoughts on the way the music industry sort of tends to operate, uh, you know, today? Well, of course, I don't believe there's an industry in the world that's changed more than the music business. You know, there is no, nobody's got a local record store, and you certainly can't count the warehouse. Um, And so, you know, it's just an industry that's changed beyond all measure. Uh, In fact, I think it's fair to say that the only real income in the music business now is live, it's certainly not in recorded music. It's certainly not in streamed music. So, you know, we've certainly gone the full circle. I was just thinking about it the other day that the music industry started as live. That's how you enjoyed music before recordings. Well, there wasn't anything there else. There was nothing was there? else. Yeah. It's just live. And I think we've come back to that. I think the music industry now is basically live, certainly from an income point of view. Yeah, I guess it's really only at the the extreme ends where there's uh, you know, there's there's reasonable money to make out of the uh, the recordings, isn't there? Well, they say that. I mean, really, you've got the streaming services fast running down everything, and so the likes of your you know Spotify and your Pandora, they say that even the superstar acts are on minimum wages. You know, that's that's not great. 
So what do you think that holds for other other industries? I mean, we look at uh, you know film and TV, where you know we're, we're starting to see Spotify type models mm-hmm. come to uh, you know, come to TV and and movies with the likes of Netflix and the local operators like QuickFlix and so on. Uh, I mean, there's not there's not a live version of that that can uh, that can happen. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on uh, on where that might head? I've got to be um, careful that I don't comment on industries I don't know anything about, and that's a good example of something I don't know anything about. But what I will say is that uh, agreements that were put into place in the '60s and the '70s and the '80s. I think, by and large, need to be renegotiated for everybody's benefit going forward. Yeah, I think that that's a fair point, and there are still some of those things uh, uh, floating around. Someone I was talking to uh, recently was was talking about, uh, um, and it it might have been a uh, a music contract actually, and there there was a reference to uh, spoilage, product that would get broken and so on, and that had moved forward into that that same uh, clause had moved forward into a digital contract. Uh, that the uh, you know the the uh, the middleman was uh, was taking out X percentage to uh, to cover that even though uh, you know it was a digital product and nothing there's, that would get was technically yes. going to get broken in between. There is so much redundancy in contracts. Mm. Now you you took a break from the music world to launch personalised plates here in New Zealand. Well, this is a history lesson that was back in 1987. <laughs> so, how did that come about? Because uh, um, that's that's you know seems quite separate to it is to, very to, separate. to everything else. A mate of mine, Peter Jordan, saw a, an ad of the tenders column. I don't have never read the tenders column for you know bringing personalised number plates into New Zealand, and he and I got a government, we won a government tender in 1987 to introduce them into New Zealand. In fact, we started that company the same year as the mobile phone came out and both products were not meant to last the year. So it's a bit of fun. Yeah. So again, when we when we look at that, there are probably a number of people that could have taken that on. Some yes. corporation could have signed up for it, etc. I, I imagine did, you yeah. probably had uh, NZ Post or yeah, something sort of, lots buy, of buying for it. Yep. Um, so why do you think you got it, and how did you how did you make that business the, the success that it? I became? think we got it because it was very much at the time when the government was wanting to be in private enterprise, or not in private, but you know what I mean. It's sort of like uh, doing ventures with private enterprise, and that was one of the first ones. And I think we just showed a very uh, appealing revenue sharing model. We showed them that they could make, over the long term, a lot of money out of it, which they did. And basically, what we went to the... Our pitch was, we'll go 50-50. Whatever we sell a number plate for, we'll give you half, and we'll run our company out of the other half. And that's exactly what we did. And, uh, you know... You know, again, it was a lot of fun. I haven't been, I've been out of that business, God, for 15 odd years. So it just, you know, you can only tell, you know, every time you listen to one of their ads, you know that I'm not part of that business. So, uh, so you sold that, and you've moved back all of your focus back into music now. Or are there yeah. other things that you dabble in? No, no. Uh, I mean, you know, we've done the, you know, we did the Great New Zealand Songbook, we did the Great Australian Songbook, we've done a lot of albums, um, we, uh, and you know, we've had two of our uh, projects, you know, on the Oprah Winfrey Show in America. She named one of our productions her favourite thing of the year a few years ago, so that was great. Uh, and more recently, um, we've just done the Great New Zealand Cookbook, where we've got eighty of our finest tops cook chefs and bakers together in the same way we did with the songbook that's great so 
how do these things happen from sort of start to finish? You get the idea, and to you end up with with you know one of the products that you've produced ending up on uh, the Oprah Winfrey Winfrey show. Well, I mean, this isn't uh, this isn't sort of trivial stuff. That's quite an achievement. It's a you know it, we're very proud of it. I, I mean, in the case of the Great New Zealand Songbook. I was at the Vector Arena with my son Sam. We went to a Split Ends concert. And at the end of it, I turned to him and I said, you've just heard the great New Zealand songbook. And that was how that business started. We got Dick Frizzell, he painted the front cover of Charlie the Four Square Man holding the guitar. And, that, and then we got Neil Finn and Dave Dobbin to handwrite their lyrics and give us their inspiration, along with 40 other artists, or 38, including those two. And, it, and so that became such a success that that was how we were able to do the great New Zealand cookbook. We, we went to the cooks and chefs and we said, hey, what about you handwriting your story? And rather giving us a song, what about giving us two recipes? And um, so that's just one thing leads to another. So looking looking at those sort of successes, what are the I guess what are the lessons that you could share in terms of yeah? Because if we, if I if if you know our listeners were sitting in here today and they they wouldn't fit in this room obviously, <laughs> um, but uh, if we were at a great big conference and you had enough time to sort of you know sit down with a few of them and give them some some tips that you've learned over the years that have really helped you to to succeed uh, to get through when maybe a, pr- a project's looked as though it's going to uh, yep. uh, fall over and, and and so on. What are some of those lessons that you've learned? What can you what can you share? I think we I think that the only place in the market is for a real quality product or service it's got to be fantastic you've got to rate it as great and many times we've you know we've not been happy with the quality of what we've done so we've just kept on working at it till it's met our own high standards so I think that you know I think it's really important to you know to stay with a product or a service and make it truly great make it meet your own high standards because then it gives you the confidence to take it to the market knowing that really it's something special and i think there's too many people in the marketplace that haven't got something special and they wonder why their results aren't all that great so that would be the first thing is just to is just to create something that's magnificent that would be number one the second thing and i've only got two would be and i'm making this up as i go is i think a lot of people give up very very early in the piece you know there is a lot of resistance all the way through in business, particularly small business, which is what I'm in. And I think that you've got to be very, um, you've got to have a lot of backbone, that's for sure. And too many people are put off too easily and give up too easily. Yeah, well, it certainly uh, sounds like you haven't uh, you haven't been a you quitter. You, I mean, you've kept going, and mm-hmm. uh, you know you've produced a lot of projects. So. Where are you at now in terms of you've just you've just launched uh, the Great New Zealand Cookbook? Mm-hmm. With a product like that, do you do you stop at that stage, or now have you got to sort of you know push and sell it and promote it for six months, twelve yep. months? How, how how does that work for you? There's three parts to the production. It, it, first, you make it, then you sell it, and then you promote it. And we're in promotions phase at the moment, and it's you know fortunately we've been uh, the media's really taken a shine to it which I'm very grateful for you know earlier this week I went up north for two days and just sat on a chair thinking about what's next because there are so many opportunities you know you've just got to be careful you know because see take the great little cookbook I've invested a year of my life and so 
it's not just it can't just be profitable financially you know what did it do to my soul what did it do to my relationships all these things are very important and they're what i'm thinking about when i go into another project so you know you know every project taking anything to the market is going to take at least a year so what am i prepared to invest a year of my life into that's probably one of the first questions i ask so what are the what are the things that motivate you out, outside of business uh, working with great people is what motivates me you know working with people that i enjoy working with people that aren't negative toxic all of the things you know i want to work with people that uh, lift me up that inspire me i want to be around those people with whatever i do and how do you how have you found you know how have you found the right people to work with well, over, I've, over got, the years? I've just got a small company there's only five or six of us and so we work great together and then you know and, and you know we don't you know we don't have a lot of meetings or anything you know my son told me years ago that's that great thing you know if you're taking minutes you're wasting hours i think that's great so you know we just want to get on with the job we want to be clear on what the job is and just let everybody do their job and not look after them or over them or that kind of thing and then equally we want to partner with other individuals and organization who have also got some light in their eyes and look like they're enjoying what they're doing yeah mm. Now, I mean, I personally have a lot of ideas. I come across a lot of people with ideas. Often those ideas aren't that good, right? Uh, there are a few that stand out that may, you know, maybe you've got some promise or, or are really good ideas. Do you have that same thing? Do you have lots and lots of ideas that you that you you know just throw away and you know how do you uh, how do you draw the line and to sort of decide I don't what have, are the things to jump onto I don't have a lot of ideas um, probably because I've been around long enough that I've distilled it to a certain point you know where it's got to make meet a lot of criteria for me to go forward with it but I think you know that everybody's got ideas There's, you don't get any points for having an idea but people just are so lazy uh, they don't take their idea anyway they just want to talk about the idea a good example of that is I went I was in my kitchen I don't know a couple of years ago and my son was there with six or seven mates talking about business and they're going on and on about this you know just a bunch of dreamers and I was really sick of them <laughs> so I said why don't I give you each a thousand dollars and let's just see what you could do with it we called it the 1k challenge for the thousand dollars and um, that's just a great example of enough talk for goodness sake let's just see if you can do anything with this thousand and i didn't put any rules i said look if you want to go to the casino and put it all on 27 black that's fine by me do whatever you want but just do something with the thousand dollars and of course thousand is not very much money but it got them thinking and i like that you know and a couple of them have started a little business as a result of that oh that's great are there any um, things in terms of yeah, how you operate, how you uh, live your life that you, we could call Murray Tomisms? Well, yeah, I think there is. I think that um, I, I've never worked long hours. That's I pretty much have always worked school hours. I work from about 8.30 to 3. That's my time. And I've always done that. But of course, what is work? That's another thing. You know, what you don't want to do is you don't want to um, confuse attendance with pro productivity. So it's not where you are. It's like where your head's at, not where your physical body is, you know. And so I've, but I've always just tended just to go home and, you know, like, you know, particularly now, <laughs> you know, I, I always generally try and get to my dad's place who's about 90. I try and get to his place by 4.30 and watch Judge Judy with him every day. 
and we talk during the ads. I mean, <laughs> it's just funny, I know, but you know, he's not going to be there forever. Yeah. And these things, you know, and, and I just, you know, so there, yeah, I've never been, I've never worked long hours. Oh no, odd times, but generally not. And and do you do you find though that your uh, your business ideas and so on are, are you know are, are travelling with you sort of all hours? Always, and, you know, you must always be thinking. Always, about yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, what is work? I mean, you know, the, the, anybody that's got their own business is thinking about it a lot of the time. That's for sure. But you know, I don't think we need to be in an office in order to do it justice. In fact, I think that's often the worst place you can be. All right. Now, if you were to put out a challenge, we've got you know a, a broad range of uh, of people that listen in to the New Zealand Business Podcast at all sorts of varying levels in their uh, careers and their their entrepreneurial experiences and so on. If you were to put out a challenge to uh, New Zealand business in general, is there uh, is there something that you could uh, you could uh, lay out? I'm not big on challenging anybody, but um, I, I think that. I would want them to be fulfilled in what they do. That would be my challenge. Um, you know, you know, you know. I think just too many people are just not doing something that their hearts in. So my challenge would be: is your heart in what you're doing? That would be my challenge. Excellent. That's great. Anything else you'd like to add, Murray? No, I think that um, you know, I, I'm just a small business owner. I've always been a small business owner and I'm not planning on being a large business owner. I just love small business. That being said, we've done some big projects, but I think you can still do big projects with, you know, in a small company. And and I, I just think that uh, it's, you know, New Zealand is an amazing country. And I think that if we just stop going through the motions and actually really you know, putting out something that is is world class. I mean, world class. What the heck's world class? People talk about it all the time. But you know, world class needs to just meet so many standards. And I think that we, if we just lift our own expectations for what we can do and create something that is absolutely magnificent, that we can be totally proud of, and that we can evangelize it to within an inch of our lives, then you know, rather than just deal with people with their heart you can barely feel the pulse you can't see any light in their eyes you know just be a little bit more engaged with what we do that's great well thank you very much for your time Murray thanks for having me all the best the New Zealand Business Podcast brought to you by Guerrilla Technology your strategic and proactive IT partner